This is Multinew Media. Hi, everyone. This is episode 53 of Multinew Media. Can you believe we've made it to 53? This episode is going to be airing on what month is it? October 17th, 2016. With me today is Chris Ayers. Chris. How's it going? Oh, God. You, you trumped it. You know I have to say every single time. Chris. How you doing? You trumped it? I trumped it? Really? Okay, so I, I'm trying not to use the word Trump right now because of the U.S. political quagmire. But at the same time, uh, it is a word that I've used a lot over the past several years, completely unrelated. <laughs> Sorry. You're such a political apologist sometimes. It's hilarious. Yeah, but I'm voting for Hillary, so I'm not apologizing about that, so... Okay, can we get back to having tech instead of politics? <laughs> Absolutely. This is a technology and business show. So what are we, Chris, what are we here to talk about today? Well, we've kind of touched on some of this stuff in the past. Um, we we're going to talk about Raspberry Pi today. Um, um, I actually spoke about it recently at the Tampa Bar Camp, which uh, is one of the biggest ones yet. I think it was their ninth year. Um, so they've been doing it for quite a while um, over at the USF School of Business. Uh, but I spoke to a packed room. My alma mater. Yeah, we were in one of the business rooms, and it was completely packed. People were standing along the walls. Um, I had quite a few people come up to me afterwards um, asking questions and having conversations about some of the stuff I presented. So um, I thought it was a pretty successful talk, and I thought a lot of information was uh, disseminated, uh, both to the beginner level and a little bit more technical. Um, so I figured that would probably be a good topic to discuss here. That'd be great. And I was really impressed. You sent me a picture, and if, if it's okay, I'd like to post one of those pictures. Sure. Uh, because you had a full room, and it was standing room only, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd like to, uh, I'd it, like to post it, it that with the very, show notes. It was very packed. Okay. Um, so you know what? Let me just stay in the background and uh, hand the floor over to you and, and let you do the amazing thing you do and educate us. <laughs> about Pi for development. All right. Well, um, you know, with most presentations that you're presenting at a technical conference, I talked a little bit about who I was. And I, I put up my Twitter account, and I discussed that I'm a senior consultant at a company called Cardinal Solutions here in Tampa. Um, I have a beard. I love games. Um, you can find me on Board Game Geek, and I like beer. And you can find me on Untapped. So that's me. Um, like I said, I work for Cardinal, uh, Cardinal has five offices right now and they have over 400 full-time or about 400 full-time consultants and they've been in business for over 20 years. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of clients we've worked with from Wells Fargo and Walmart to Lowe's and Bridgestone and Fifth Third Bank and, and Bloomin' Brands here in Tampa. So we, we, we have, you know, lots of clients and we've done lots of IOT work as well, um, that's enough about me. But what, no, no, no. It's not enough about you because you're forgetting the most important part. What's you that? are the technical host of Multinew Media. Yeah, that's true. I did not put that on the slide. I, I, I should have. No, that's okay. Like, you know, this is the first time behind the scenes. If um, anyone listening to the show wants to know, this is the first time I'm, I'm prototyping using Facebook Live while we record. We don't have a set recording schedule, so um, it's just something I'm trying with with just my own Facebook friends exploring Facebook and YouTube and other options for streaming. Um, 
So if I seem a little bit off, that may be why. But I, I wanted to put that in. And, and yeah, we're not ready to promote out there yet. But I, I did want to tease you a little bit about it. I was looking at your slide deck earlier and I said, you know what? We should get you out there promoting the show a little bit once we're ready. Um, actually, at work, um, I'm kind of going through uh, a little bit of advancement there. And I think I'm going to be taking on a bigger role in some of the sales stuff, mm -hmm. dealing with sales calls and, and talking with clients, trying to um, – explore their needs and, and their their goals for, for work with our company and, and helping uh, plan some of that. So Good, good. Yeah, so I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry for interrupting that. I just wanted to put that in there and tease you a little bit. Oh, you're fine. Um, so going back to the Raspberry Pi, mm -hmm. um, the first model actually became available in 2012. And um, I'm just going to go over the, some of this a little, little quickly, but the, the Pi 1 only had – a 700 megahertz chip, but it was an ARM6 chip. So the significance of that is it didn't have full floating point, um, which means some of the high, higher end math functions um, were emulated in software. So they took a little bit of extra to work to get done. So they weren't as efficient as, as some of the more modern chips are. Yeah. And they came out with like 256 megs of memory, but they're the same price they are today, which is about $35. Um, the main difference between the Pi 1 and the latest version, the Pi 3, is the Pi 1 used a big SD card. The current ones use a micro SD card. And the Pi 1 did not have um, – you, you can see uh, in the pictures that I put up, they have a nice row of 40 like GPIO pins. So, so some of the physical characteristics were a little different. They, they moved some things around. And the original Pi 1 and Pi 2 don't have built-in Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. So that's what makes the, the current Pi 3 amazing. Uh, you get not only a gig of memory, you get a gig processor that has, you know, a hardware floating point. So, it, so it's, it's quite fast. It has a, like a VR chip. It's got like, I think a power VR or hmm. uh, some sort of 3D chip. It's very comparable to like the graphics card in a cell phone. And it has built-in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. All for $35. Oh, that's good. So... Um, if you're wanting to do maybe a physical project or you want to do just set up a, like a home toy computer or, you know, emulation station or something like that, it's a great little entry point. Um, now, it runs a whole variety of Linux operating systems. There's an official one called Raspbian, which they distribute on their website. Um, Ubuntu, which a lot of people run on their desktops or laptops. There's a version called Ubuntu Mate that works perfectly on the Pi, um, there's a, a distro of Fedora, which is another uh, popular OS. And then they have some some of the, the things that are mainly of interest to developers. Uh, Snappy is an Ubuntu thing that's very similar to like Docker. Um, if you've heard of that, it instead of installing files, you install applications and they come in like bundles and applications and all their dependencies live side by side. So it's very similar to Docker in that way. Um, there is a Windows 10 distribution called Windows 10 IoT Core, um, and you can do Windows Universal apps for it. They have code and samples to do things like weather stations. There's one to where you can hook up motors and servos and play air hockey against some software. Um, and then there's specific application-focused distributions, and these are a lot of the reasons – uh, hobbyists and people at home buy Raspberry Pis. There's a distribution that is focused on 
uh, Cody or the Xbox Media Center type of distro. So you can buy this $35 device, put some software on it, hook up to your TV, and have a little media center uh, without having to spend a lot of money. There's RetroPie, which is an emulation station, and it supports playing stuff like Atari and Nintendo and Genesis games. Um, so a lot of people do that. Uh, PyNet is one specifically developed for education. It has like classroom management. There's one called MinePion, which if you really wanted to, I, d I don't know why, but you could mine bitcoins on your Raspberry Pi. It doesn't seem like you'd be very effective mining bitcoins with a Raspberry Pi. I think Pi. you can say you did it. Yeah. I don't think you would come ahead in the cost per energy. No, and you know, that's something I wanted to stop you on at this point and ask, <laughs> because we have all these different use cases you presented, from education to home tinkering to media server. Yep. When we look at the development side for business, what do you really see businesses adopting Raspberry Pis for other than, you know, things like thermostat control, or is that even happening? Well, I think that you would probably use a Raspberry Pi. So going back one um, a little bit, there were a number of versions of the Raspberry Pi. The one I didn't really speak a lot about was the Raspberry, uh, the Pi Zero. The Pi yeah. Zero just came out last year, and it is... Is that the $5 one? It's $5. Right. Okay, so it, it is designed for being embedded. I've tried to purchase that, and it's always like 20 or $25 aftermarket. I don't know where to actually get it for $5, but that, well, I do recall so that being... a lot of the a... companies that sell the Pi are in the U.K., Mm -hmm. or in the EU. And so sometimes there's VATS involved. Oh, okay. Uh, sometimes there's shipping involved. Um, you can usually find, sometimes you can find them on Amazon for, for the, the, you know, $5 or $35. But, you know, that, that does present part of the problem. Yeah, it but, didn't look like, if I was just looking on Amazon or somewhere, it didn't look like there was a real price advantage of going for something like the Zero, which is significantly lower spec, as I recall, than the Pi 3. Lower spec, but it also has less um, inputs, so it, there's less USB ports. Mm -hmm. I, I think you just have the micro for power, and th there's like less. Th there's just significantly less number of ports, and it's much harder to have connectivity with the Pi, and you have to do like soldering and actual. Ooh, no. Yeah, no, I mean that's going to take it out of. Stuff. Yeah, that's that's going to move that solidly into the hobbyist realm and move it out of the scope for business. I or, mean, businesses yeah. don't really want to do that. Well, these are all the generic pies that are out for sale. The companies that are licensed through the Pie Foundation, mm -hmm. you can actually go on their site and customize the pie. You can you can customize the location of chips on the board. I don't need those extra USB ports. Remove those. I need something that's a s smaller form factor. So they allow you to fully customize the board. Some of the chips, like I don't need uh, audio, remove that. I don't need, I don't need, you know, whatever. And and they let you remove those components, move them around, and and will then sell you them in bulk. So if you were designing devices um, that had some sort of controller inside of it, you could do that. Alternately, and I'll get to it. You can go with Arduino or or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I I like talking about the Pi over some of the other systems is if you're a hobbyist and you, you think you want to build a device or maybe a robot or a watering system for your plants, whatever you want to do, um, if you go Arduino, that's pretty much all you can do with it. You can just use it to – you can write some software and use it to control sensors and motors and switches and lights. Mm -hmm. If you decide that that's not what you want to end up doing and you'd like to be able to do that, but – you know, at the end of the day, if, if you end up deciding, 
oh, that's too much work. I don't feel like making or building this thing. You still have a fully functional computer. Yeah. Like you can hook it up to a monitor, plug in a keyboard and mouse, and use it for a web browser. The latest ones come with Chromium, which is the open source version of Chrome. It has word processors. It has Minecraft. Like you can... So I think I'm still struggling to wrap my head around one part, and I, I, I'm looking at your slide deck here, and I'm, I'll publish that in the show notes um, for episode sure. 53. But before we move on to things like accessories, I'm looking at the list that you just presented verbally of the applications and the focus. Right, and, and there are some that people use for, like, there's Kali, which is a pen testing distribution that mm-hmm. you, people use for, for security, like White Hat security, like looking for vulnerabilities in systems. There's OpenWRT where you can set up a router. And I actually have I actually have multiple Pies. I have a Pi one, two, and three. My Pi one runs SpillPass. So if you have a 3DS and you you go to conventions, you carry it with you, so you can get the Street Pass stuff to play the little mini games. By by 3DS, are you talking about what I think you're talking a about? Nintendo 3DS, oh, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So the SpillPass um, application and distro, you put that on a Raspberry Pi one and you plug it into your network and it pretends to be a hotspot so you can sit at home playing 3ds and get like 10 or 20 visitors every 15 minutes and and play those little street pass games without having to yeah. actually leave so with the with the <laughs> list of operating systems and uh, mainly a lot of linux operating systems also risk yes. os and windows 10 iot core and the yep. applications you were just talking about i still have a little bit of a hang-up that it, me as a consultant at what point I'm not an IT consultant, you know, I'm sort of management, sort of marketing, sort of operate. I've blended yeah. all these areas. At what point would I go sit with a client and suggest, you know, have you thought about bringing in a Raspberry Pi? I don't know. So the only reason I think that you would do that in a business sense is if you were trying to set up a kiosk or if you were trying to set up an IoT device of some kind. So a kiosk, if you needed, if, if, if you wanted to have a lockdown website, on a little touch screen. Right, maybe some type of a time clock system or maybe something that's even public sure. facing at a at a retail or sure. uh, you public could do something like that with a Raspberry Pi. Um, if you wanted to um, control sensors and uh, turn on and off like switches and lights or, or motors, you, you could do it with a Raspberry Pi as well. What about um, a lot of companies are using RFID to automatically monitor and track their shipments. Have you heard of anything of deploying Raspberry Pis for sort of, you know, as trucks pull into warehouses or out of warehouses to automatically track supply? Has Is any of that being done? I have not done? heard a lot about that. I mean, um, I think that'd be a great opportunity because... Because of beacons? So most, yeah. most devices that can transmit Bluetooth are considered beacons and they can interact with some of the... Bluetooth devices like MetaWare and, and some of the beacons. Well, I'd be more you concerned can, with reading RFID tags, passive RFID. Yeah, I'm sure that you can get something, but some of the RFIDs have short range, so I, I don't know. Mm, yeah, it, It's not something I can speak to specifically. Yeah, because a couple of years ago, oh God, I, maybe this is six, seven, eight years ago now, uh, was working with a company that as trucks came in, they wanted to be able to scan the RFIDs sort of as they pass through an archway. Um yeah, they realize that they're inside of a metal box, right? That yeah, that's that was part of the difficulty. <laughs> but the other thing, what they were currently doing is right. The RFID didn't necessarily need to be on every single item inside the truck. They were oh. using some type of pre QR codes. I may, they may have been just using a regular UPC code. I don't quite remember. And they were scanning the truck as it came in. And I think we could have replaced with an R, uh, passive or even an active RFID outside of the truck. 
But yeah. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to explore so that managers understand why IT departments may be looking at Raspberry Pi. Is it too early to jump on the IoT craze or, you know, just all these different considerations? Of course it's not too early to jump on IoT. It's never too early. IoT is built into your fridges now, built into your washer and dryer. There's IoT inside some coffee makers. Well, it's um, I have an automatic, which is a little dongle that plugs into my computer and connects to my phone. And it records like engine codes and it'll track my my drive time and my GPS location while I'm driving and my my fuel efficiency. And it'll I I interacts with if this, then that the website and it'll store my travel information into a Google sheet, which I can then graph my fuel economy over time. Like these are all things considered IOT. I mean, that's that's great. But I so I don't I don't like to necessarily um, mention client stuff. But today I was talking with a client that is on some 30 year old style database that everything is a string. Um, How do you convince someone like that, that it's worthwhile for their IT department to start looking at IOT and these Raspberry Pi devices? That's I think I don't think it's a conversation that you try to force IOT on someone. Mm -hmm. I think if their products or their environment needs more smaller points of data from more sources or it's something that there's a need for it you know they might not be aware that the capability existed and now it does um but yeah this is just talking about the i uh, the os's there's still a lot more to cover sure sure um like some of the effect, accessories um so these um raspberry Pis. I, I mentioned they had a whole bunch of gpio ports um, one of the and what does that stand for? Pi, Keep uh, us business people in mind. I what does that well, stand I'm for? Well, I'm gonna cover it in more depth, but it's general purpose import output okay. or input output okay. pins. But um, they offer a number of official accessories from the Pi Foundation. One of them is really cool, and I actually just got one the other day. It's a sense hat, is what they call it, and it has an eight by eight LED screen, so you can like uh, draw shapes and colors. It's got a little joystick on it, so you could like make a menu and navigate it. It has a, a gyroscope sensor, an accelerometer, a temperature sensor, a humidity sensor, barometer. You can use this to – one of the samples from Microsoft is build a weather station. Um, so you can read all these individual sensors and know information about where that pie is located. So if you needed to monitor um, a warehouse, you could put one of these out. Um, one of the samples I did at – bar camp and it's very easy to do is read some of this data read read the temperature sensor or read the humidity and connect to wi-fi and send it up to azure and put it in the power bi and you can graph the humidity of some place now there's other devices that do that but you could you can pretty much build this yourself um, another one of the official accessories is a touch screen so you could make like a mini tablet um, there's also a camera module one of our offices at Cardinal built a virtual receptionist. They call it Jarvis. And it had of the course camera. they call it Jarvis. Everyone calls it Jarvis. Yeah. Um, in fact, Robert Downey Jr. just offered to be the voice of Jarvis for... Oh, you've got to uh, be kidding me. That's too cool. No, there was a company building an official Jarvis or, or, or AI assistant, and Robert Downey Jr. said he'd be the voice of it. I'm trying to remember which company it was, but... Um, Anyways, what we we did, what the office did was um, they have Slack integration and, and 
social media integration and you can send it a message to a bot that's listening saying, hey, I'm expecting somebody to come by at three. And they have a Raspberry Pi with a um, motion sensor and a camera. And when like someone walks in the door, that triggers the motion sensor and it takes a picture of the person coming in and it puts up on the screen, hey, are you here to see so-and-so? And like yes or no. And if they hit yes, it'll send that picture to the person that say, hey, so-and-so is here to see you. I've got to take you down another tangent because that just made me think of something and I want to get um, some input if I'm too far out in science fiction. Sure. Uh, I heard the term bot and so you know where my mind went. Can this thing run like a Skype bot? If, if a company were looking at moving into machine learning or artificial intelligence or data analytics. So the what my company did with our virtual assistant is we had a Skype bot or a Slack bot. So mm -hmm. we were using Slack and it was running um, in Azure. So the Slack bot ran in Azure and it put um, events into a database in Azure and the app running on the Raspberry Pi and screen would connect to that database in the cloud and pull down upcoming events. Hmm. I like and, that. And then it would use, um, it would take pictures and send it back out to Slack. So it didn't run the bot on the device. It ran the bot in the cloud and interfaced with the device. Well, and that's one of the reasons I was asking is because, you know, I, I think that the cloud is something that a lot of companies are still trying to get immersed within and, and understand and see where it fits in within their, their IT um, operations. And I just kind of thought, well, if this is a way to kind of test out a bot and uh, maybe even run a small-scale bot on-prem, then it might well, be an, an, an easier way to, to step in. Well, I've seen a number of tutorials about using your Pi with a microphone and a speaker, uh, essentially making um, a voice recognition thing. And it, it would record your audio and send it up to the Amazon cloud services for Alexa to do text-to-speech. Oh, okay. A lot of these are lower-powered devices, so they can't do a lot of processing on the device. What IoT is about now? Now, the, but a Siri type thing, kind of right? An on-device Siri type, you know. Right. IoT devices a lot of times are sensors or monitoring of some kind that pushes data up into the cloud. Okay. A lot of times, Raspberry Pi kind of crosses between normal IoT stuff and Arduino stuff, which is. Um, microcontroller. I'm controlling servos. I have a small program running that reads sensory input and then controls devices. So that'd be more if you wanted to run a PLC or some type of servos or something. Sure. Yeah. What's nice about a Pi over some of those other systems, which I was going to get to in the slides, is that the Raspberry Pi is also a general purpose computer. So you can just run it like a normal computer. So it's great for kids and people that are wanting to experiment with stuff but have a fallback that I can still use it for other devices. Let's say you had um, your son's older, but let's say he was 10 or 12 again. Is this something that you would consider yes. making his daily driver like at home homework computer? Maybe if he just needed to browse the web and type. Right. Instead of, say, going and getting a Chromebook or, um, you know, an entry level Windows PC. I'd probably laptop. get him a laptop, but I would definitely consider getting him one of these. Um, but going back. In addition to the official accessories, mm -hmm. there's hundreds of other accessories and devices. There's there's 3D printed cases. I mean, there's official cases, but there's there's cases of all types: clear ones, colored ones, Lego ones you can build yourself. There's screens. They have small three-inch screens. They have seven and ten-inch screens. Most of them are touch capable. There's USB devices for the Pi One and Two, like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. 
there's um, more sense hats, more more things like the official Pi sense hat, where you could put like a GPS uh, GPS module on your Pi. And why is uh, this thing called a hat again? It's called a hat because you have your Raspberry Pi little board with all these little pins sticking up, the GPIO pins, mm-hmm. and the hat just sits right on top of the entire board and just lines up oh. perfectly with the base board and, and just sits on top of all those pins. So it's a colloquial name just because it's sitting on top like a hat. Yep. Oh, oh that makes more sense. Than, I mean, it's kind of a scary term because I saw on your slide deck, and again, I'll publish the, the slides in the show notes, yep. but I see it's in all caps, and I thought, hmm. No, no, no. no. And then there's these things called breakout boards. And what breakout boards is, you see all those pins. It's hard to know what pin means what. So a lot of times, um, if you buy, for instance, a kit, um, and there's some great kits out there. I, I actually have a link to one from a company called SunFounder. They have this little T connector. And so it plugs on top of the 40 GPIO pins. And then it has um, this thing coming out. It has each pin labeled. And you just put it right into a breadboard for if you were experimenting and plugging in resistors and diodes and, oh, wow. and wires and it labels each pin so it allows you to easily wire up things so is that sort of to kind of uh i guess build your own device or is that yes, for testing of when, these so uh, part of what i was talking about in this this presentation is physical computing this is the people who maybe buy the raspberry pi for 35 dollars, but they want to start looking at well maybe i want to build a thing that waters my plants every day, turns on the water for 10 seconds and turns it off. Or maybe I want to build a little weather station myself. I want to start building something physical going out of, I'm just building a web page or writing a program. I'm actually interacting with cameras and light sensors and turning on and off switches or making something move. Like to me, you can write code all day long, but when, when you actually see something start to move and and affect the real world, that's kind of cool. And I guess you've just got to figure out business to business. What is it the thing you need to either develop on a small scale device like this, or what is it you might need to move or control? Um, And that's going to be a business by business. I heard a pitch from one company and I think, I don't know if we did it or not, but they, um, they wanted like a little phone booth looking thing with a phone handle and they wanted a pie to drive it. And you would pick up the receiver and the pie would realize that the switch was released and it would play like a message uh, through the handset. Hmm. And you would say something, and it would record your response. So it was acting like a phone call. So was this for, um, this would be something that would maybe be at a, a retail location or that yeah. you at a conference? and Yeah, like for signing up for like a loyalty card or something. You'd yeah. pick it up and you'd be like, hi, are you interested in signing up? Sort of be like an in-person voicemail. I like that. Right. And that's... That had nothing to do with the retailer. The retailer sold clothing. Huh. But that was like a cool little thing. Am I going to see this at a retailer pretty soon? I don't, or was I don't, I don't remember okay. if, if we ended up doing it or Come not. Come on, I'm trying to get saying. inside information out of you so I know how to go but, you know, manage like said, my portfolio. So if you're starting to want to play with this stuff, some the kits are usually great starting places because they come with LEDs, they come with sensors and motors and wires and, and the breadboard just so you can plug stuff in and don't have to do any soldering. Yeah. Um, LED screens, you can display messages and stuff. Those are an amazing way to get started. And they usually come with books that have how to wire it up and here's how the here's some sample code that does this cool project. You know, I like that and I as a little bit of research for the show, I looked um, on Amazon, of course, of all places. 
to see what these kits ran. And you can get some kits from 40 bucks. Uh, yeah, 40 bucks to 100, 120 bucks. And like we said, or like you said earlier, the Pi 3, the board itself is 35. Yep. And so for sometimes $5, $10, you know, all the way up to you know, double or triple the price, um, that's, after, that's not a bad deal. After doing this presentation, one of my, my coworkers actually was like, you know, I want to get a Pi now to do the retro Pi to do emulation. And he got a $70 kit. I think it was like a can of kit or something. And it came with the case and an SD card and the Raspberry Pi and um, like all the things he needed to, you know, and pretty much that was all he needed, but all the stuff he needed to hook it up to his TV and play. Yeah. Um, but, um, and there's like a sensor kit, which is great through the, um, the Sun Founders as well. And I think it's 90, but it comes with like 35 different sensors. There's like a flame sensor and a sound sensor and a light sensor and movement sensor. <laughs> okay, so I can't think of a good business reason, but I would love to have a flame sensor. Yeah. That would uh, be fun. And so I, I do have a slide on this, so I'm just going to mention it. Competing products. I brought up the Arduino before. Um, you can't really plug it up to your TV and run it like a normal computer and have a desktop. Um, the Arduino, so that, you so, can't. What? The Arduino, you can't do that? Right. Okay. It, it's mainly designed for you write some code, you push code to it, and you're interacting with pins. Now, is and, that and, like and, you're writing firmware instead of software? Right. You're, okay. you're just writing a program for this microcontroller to execute. Okay. Um, with the Raspberry Pi, you can do whatever. Um, some of the competing other products are something called a Minnow board or an Intel Jewel. Both of those are x86, they're, they're Atom processors, and they can actually run Windows 8 so or Windows 10. Like, you can run mm -hmm. a Windows desktop on them, um, or you can run a version of Linux. The problem with the those two boards is they're like two to $300. I mean, do you, so also... So they're much more expensive. I mean, a bare-bones PC is kind of that way, and some of the retail PCs, do you think that something like an Intel Jewel could replace some POS systems? Um... I mean, if it could run this Windows more, 10... The Intel Jewel and, and the Marin board, I would think, are more enterprise-level things. Um, just for the fact that, that I think that's kind of where Intel's pushing them. But give, I, give me I, an, I, can you give me an example? Because, I'm, I'm again, I, from the business they, side, I kind of struggle to see Both of those run Windows the, 10 IoT. So you can do full Windows 10 on them. Or the, you, you can run the desktop versions or you can run the IoT versions. Mm -hmm. And and then um, they both support regular Linux, um, so you could probably run the, the libraries to control some of the pins. Um, it's just, if you're a hobbyist, they're 10 times as expensive as a Pi. Right. But, I mean, so they wouldn't be able to replace some types of, uh, like, let's say, dedicated workstations, uh, time clocks? Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I'm talking about a Pi. I didn't do a lot of research into the minnow boards or the jewels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the Intel Jewel is one I'd want to look at to see the use case because we know that Intel is going to position theirs towards business. And I think that's where I feel like I'm failing anytime Raspberry Pi comes up. You know, I, I keep wanting to have this sage advice that I can give to businesses and say, okay, here's the whole thing that's going on with IoT and here's why you'd look at it. And let me give you example after example after example. And when I hear the examples you give me, it all makes sense. But I still don't feel like I have a grasp. And I think so many business people don't have a grasp of Think about it. It's information. So why did they put IoT pieces into a washer or a dryer or a fridge? What was the goal? They wanted information. 
hey, you got a notification that your washer is done. Hey, you got a notification that when you pulled out the milk, you didn't put it back, you threw it out. You're out of milk. It, it's giving additional information. Why do we have nests? So that we can learn about the patterns of our adjusting thermostats and we can learn about the current temperature and you can see charts and graphs of energy usage and temperatures. Why do you have um, internet connected light bulbs? So you can use your, um, your phone and locality so when it knows when you get home to turn on the light or when you leave to turn them off. These are all you know, small bits of control but lots of information. So is it a uh, situation where if we're in business and we want to be an industry leader and we want to be an innovator and we want to be the smart business of the future, is this something we probably should be asking our IT folks to take a look at if they're not already? Well, I think it, a lot of it depends upon what's your business model. Just because there's a technology out there doesn't mean you hop on board. Does it make sense? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I really well, am. You and, know, I, it's on a case by case basis, man. You know that. I I do. I struggle to wrap my head around it, though. Um, I mean, I get the concept of IoT, and I know that the promise is there. And I guess I feel like someone who's looking at the computer revolution, uh, or maybe I've just been watching too much Halt and Catch Fire recently. Did you finish the season? I did. It's wonderful. I finished it today. It's so good. You know, but I feel like maybe I'm watching too much of that because I feel no. I'm trying not to put spoilers here, but I feel like they feel at the end of that last episode of this season of. I know there's something there. I just don't know what. I don't know what to tell people. Well, the thing about that show is it runs parallel to the real world, you know? Um, their original device in the first season ran parallel to the IBM PC. Um, in the second season, their their network ran parallel to a lot of other things. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's... A lot of it is knowing if it applies to you. Don't try forcing it. Um, um, and this is where I start breaking um, from a lot of general purpose information into more specific stuff about development and interacting with the physical. So I'm going to get out of the business philosophy okay. part of the talk. This is so when is I go quiet. To talk about with that? Absolutely no, I'm not. If you if you hear or see <laughs> me taking notes, then that'll. Uh, That'll explain a lot. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk more at the end. Um, but I brought up GPIO ports a lot. Um, so these are for the Pi. There's a number of pins that you can program. Um, now in their little um, distribution of pins, there are some that are dedicated to providing power. Um, the Pi is powered by a five volt micro USB. So one of the things you can do is you can, there's two pins that provide five volts of power. There's one that provides three volts of power. There are some ports that are ground. So once you, you know, this is, like I said, physical computing, and this is also basic electrical circuits. So you would take the power and route it through some components down to the ground. And you have to be very careful. You can wire um, components with the wrong voltage. You can fry the components. You can put the voltage from one of the output pins into one of the other pins on the Pi and short it out, and you can damage your own Raspberry Pi. So this is why when you're first starting out, you want to look at the tutorials and the wiring and be kind of careful. Um, in addition to the power and the ground, there's also something called an I2C uh, port, 
or pins. Um, it stands for inter-integrated circuit. Oh, thank you for describing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how you talk to other integrated circuits. Um, and you would uh, wire up the other circuits, maybe their sensors, maybe their devices, to these I2C ports. And you would um, put certain values on, on like the wire, like, hey, I want to access the device at memory address 4000. Okay, now I want to read a value, you know, at memory address 4008. And, and that's how you would access the device and maybe read off the current temperature because it's on that port. Um, they also have a PCM uh, set of pins. That's a pulse code modulation um, to do sound. There's I.O. pins. There's a serial port pins where you could uh, hook up a serial port. So if you need to connect it, um, I don't know if you remember old school routers and devices where you would need a serial cable to hook up to your laptop. And Oh, yeah. And Printers, uh, yeah, sensors. A lot of industrial sensors still run on serial uh, yep. from my experience. I mean, that's That blows my mind, but it, it's, I still see it. Yep, you can do that. Still on the Pi. There's a, a, a clock. There's a couple of general purpose clock pins where you could uh, set your device to, you know, hey, every tick of the clock, it gets a signal. So, And then there's these general purpose pins. So in addition to those dedicated pins, there's GPIO pins, which you can say, um, I want to write to this pin. So it'll go from low to high voltage and then high to low voltage. So you could turn it on and off individually. Or you could read the pin and say, is it currently high or is it currently low? Um, this actually... Um, is part of the OS for the Raspberry Pi. Um, it generates interrupts, which uh, means your program can say, hey, I want to watch this pin and wake me up if something happens. And there's four things that can happen, or three things that can kind of happen. Um, it can stay the same as what it currently is. Um, it can rise, which means like taking a button, for instance. If you're not pushing the button, it's low. Mm-hmm. The moment your finger goes down on the button, it rises from low to high. So you can you can detect if it's low. You can detect if it's rising from low to high. And then if you hold your finger down on the button, you can keep getting interrupts, keep getting signals that it's still high and it's still being held. And when you let go, it's falling. So you can know if it's rising or if it's falling. So wouldn't that be four? You, you can know if it's off, so the binary zero on binary one going from zero to one rise right. and the one to zero fall. The, the system will tell you if there's like a state change or if it's continuing to be the same state. Okay. So the state change is kind of important. That's like, um, you know, on the keyboard, if you're holding down a, a, a letter, you know, you probably want it to show up if you just hold, you know, press the letter <laughs> once. One would hope. Yeah, but if you hold it down, you might want to see it repeating. You yes. can do those type of things uh, just based on pins. Um, and there's a good diagram of uh, explaining this um, in the slides. Okay. Um, there's another couple of pins that controlled something called pulse width modulation. This is actually pretty cool. Um, and you've probably seen it in remote control cars and stuff um, where you can go from 0 to 100% power on some type of electric motor or servo. Mm -hmm. I what used to happened? see these on Sun Microsystems diagnostic computers when my, my dad was a, a mechanic. And I would see maybe not this exact thing, 
but I would see a lot of um, pulse modulation. Right, and when you see this diagram, it makes perfect sense what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, so if um, if you're at zero percent, it's always low. If you're at twenty five percent power, um, maybe every fourth clock tick, right. it'll go high. A quarter of so the time, go, you're going to get a plateau. Yeah, it'll go high, low, 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 high, low, 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 and that's twenty five percent power. Um, if you're at fifty percent power, it'll go like high, high, low, low, high, mm-hmm. high, low, low. And, and like you think about it, and you're like, yeah, I guess that is fifty percent power. But it, it, this is what you would use to control some motors or servos or um, other things that the Raspberry Pi is providing power to them or um, having that pin at a high position tells the device to, to turn on its power. So th- this is how you would control some of those uh, devices. Um so, That's nice. I mean, you know, if you're in if you're in lighting, if you're in uh, whether that means lighting for uh, facilities management or whether it means lighting for a, a concert hall, um, that's something that that those types of um, organizations could take a look at. Because I mean, you're talking a thirty-five dollar device that could essentially do your uh, PLC controllers for an entire concert. Maybe I, maybe. I, I yeah. don't know. That's a big maybe, uh, though. I'll, I'll even give you that. That's a big maybe. I, I'm just. Uh... Laying the groundwork for people to program it, so I'm not really looking at the business aspect on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll just um, I'll take that I'll take that back seat on that bus and just I'll, so I'll, and I'll this keep next quiet. slide um, or, or the next part is specifically for people who've never done anything with Linux, much less a Linux device that might be headless, which means you might not have a monitor hooked up to it. Um, now the easiest thing you can do is definitely hook up a monitor. You can hook up a, a TV. Because it has HDMI and a keyboard and mouse, and just use it like a desktop. Um, and you could program directly on the device if you wanted to. But most people don't want to do that. They want to program from their laptop or another desktop device. And so this is where you would use something called SSH. Um, and if you're in the Windows world, you might not be familiar with it. But um, the latest version of the Raspberry Pi OS, Raspbian, that came out, um, they've has a, they call it Pixel, but it has built-in SSH and it has built-in VNC. So you can VNC straight to your Raspberry Pi and see a desktop. Um, and that might work well for, for some people. Um, I find that one of the easier ways is if you go through a little bit more setup and you um, set up file sharing. So if you have like a, essentially a Windows file share off of the Raspberry Pi and you can edit the files directly on your desktop. Um, though I usually push code to it via SSH. You know, it's it's funny you say that. You said the Windows users may not know SSH, but from web development, I know SSH, but not the VNC that you were mentioning. I I know nothing about VNC. Yeah, um, there's a number of resources available for all of that on the Raspberry Pi site. Um, But once you're accessing the device, if you're using it directly, if you're using the screen directly on the device or you're doing it remote, you can do Node.js, you can um, do Python, there's a number of Python libraries to support accessing all the pins and all the, the sensors and, and screen. You could do Ruby. You can uh, It comes with Apache, so you can do HTML and JavaScript, turn it into a little web server. You can code in C and C++. Say it. Say the next one. Say it. C Sharp. No, yeah, no. Mono. Oh, never mind. My list was different. Say the one after that. I don't want to you because say it. why would you? Just like when it, Because it's the best. 
It's the language I love the most. Please, please say it. And moving on. Ah, uh, PHP. <laughs> um, I still don't. I still don't know what you have against the, PHP. Installed on all the Raspberry Pis, um, well, Raspbian by default is another language called Scratch. This came out of MIT as a learning language. For, yeah, and so and this looks like Blockly to me. If anyone's yeah, ever seen Blockly, it's very similar to Blockly. So you can program with a point-and-click interface. You drag and drop. And um, they actually have a number of tutorials on how to make games and how to make other applications. Like I said, this is a little bit um, where if you have a kid that's in middle school or elementary school, even high school, and... Come on, I have my college students instill, doing Blockly. Instill that old um, feeling of taking some apart, playing around with the internals, trying to see what you can do with it. Scratch helps contribute to that. And it comes with a special version of Minecraft just for the Minecraft. Raspberry Pi. And there's Python interfaces for it. So you can learn Python while you're playing with Raspberry Pi and have it generate like a road for, you know, straight road with uh, railroad uh, pieces. You're talking about within, within Minecraft. Yeah. You That's can really good for kids. your world yeah. from the Python interface. Oh, I like so, that a lot. It lets that lets whoever's learning, whether it's a kid or an adult, lets them really translate the real world, or in this case, a virtual right world. Yeah, um, sorry, I lost you there for a second, but we're good now. We've reestablished. Yeah. So not only um, do you get to play with Minecraft, you can learn Python, and then some of the commands will cause things to immediately happen, and you can have instant instant results. Now, does that does that come stock with the you yeah. said the Raspberry Pi operating the, system? The official OS, Raspbian. Yeah. And now, does that come pre-installed, or do you have to put it on an SD card from the website and then install it when you get uh, there? So, if you buy a kit, a lot of times Raspbian's preloaded. Mm -hmm. If you didn't buy a kit, um, you can download it from their website for free. You can get any SD card you want um, and just format it, copy the files to it, put it in the SD card, turn it on. Um, the only caveat I'll say is if you have over a 32 gig SD card, um, you got to do one or two extra little things because Windows does not like formatting 64 gig SD cards in FAT32. Um, and that's covered on the documentation on their is website. Is it 64 and anything over or is it just 64? Yeah, 64 and anything over, um, you have to use a, a different tool. Oh, that explains my, my, why my Windows phone hates my 128 gig card. Yeah, you just need to reformat FAT32. If Windows 10 and Windows 8 will format it XFAT. And oh, okay. It doesn't like that. Hmm. That explains a lot. But if you do get Raspbian, um, it comes with apt-get. So very similar to Ubuntu and some of the other desktops. You can install Node. You can install Mono. Um, there's libraries built in for turning on and off pins. And I do have a couple of code samples there. Um, in the slides that that show I'm picking individual pins and I'm monitoring it, um, monitoring the output signal or monitoring the input signal, and I want to know if they're pushing the button or letting go of the button. Um, it's a pretty simple little example, but it shows you um, how you manipulate pins. Um, I compliment you for using Visual Studio Code in that. Yeah. Um, and then I show, you can do the same thing with C Sharp. Uh, I'm a Windows developer. I'm, I, I do not net. So that now means I can do Linux and Mac development. 
Uh, Yay, uh, what's it, Core, core 1.0? Yeah, yeah .NET Core. Unfortunately, you can't use .NET Core today on the Raspberry Pi because the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino both are ARM-based processors, and .NET Core has some problems building for ARM. Um, most Windows desktops are x86, so Intel-based. Mm -hmm. um, so... Like I said, ARM's not fully supported yet for .NET Core, so you have to use Mono, which is the open source version of .NET, essentially. Um, and that is normal C-sharp code, runs fine. Um, there's some libraries out there that are available to let you manipulate the pins from uh, inside C-sharp. And all of these, um, the, the Node.js library, Python libraries, the C-sharp li libraries, they all... Um, kind of follow and wrap the original C library that was written for Arduino to control pins. It's called Wiring Pi. So um, Wiring Pi has a lot of documentation as well on manipulating pins and reading and writing values. Um, so, yeah, on the Linux side, you can pretty much use it like a normal Linux machine and pretty much write whatever you want. You can get C and C++ libraries, recompile them. Um, like you can get Intel's OpenCV library, which is computer vision to do facial recognition. You could use the camera module to take a picture and do um, facial recognition on it. Um, yeah. You can set web servers and do Node and Express.js and handle web requests and have it display information like a, a status board of temperature. All of that. See more of those ideas of what I'm trying to look for, of, of how to get businesses entrenched in this. And I think uh, I think the information you've given is really great. It's been a little bit more technical of an episode than we normally go into. I think I'm going to have to do something light and fluffy and with unicorns next time. Sure. Um, but, but I really do think it's valuable information. And even if uh, you know somebody listening back, um, uh, maybe in their car or at their office right now, maybe you didn't get everything. Don't don't worry. Um, I didn't even understand everything you said, Chris. And I <laughs> think that's a wonderful thing because it gives me a lot of opportunity of of knowing where I can go next in my exploration of IOT because yes, this conversation is about raspberry Pi for development and for business, but I think it's a start of a larger conversation about IOT and its position in our modern business and in our modern life even. And yeah. I, I'm interested uh, to hear what people have to say. And I'll show you a commercial example. I know uh, when I get done with this next little section, okay. Um, like that was all Linux talk. Um, windows, they are diving into the IoT world. Um, so if you look up Windows 10 IoT, they download this Windows 10 um, IoT like dashboard, and it's like, hey, I'm going to set up a new IoT device. And you pick if it's a Raspberry Pi or a Minnow board or one of the other devices they support, it'll download um, the software and put it on the SD card, and you just boot it up, and it sees that the device is on your network, and it shows, like, so it's essentially like a, a version of Windows where you can see processes and processor usage and disk usage, network usage. Like it loads in this sample app where you can see the task manager. I, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like task manager yeah. um, being front and center. There's a number of little tabs though, and you can like it, it will do Windows updates, so it'll update itself. You can assign a, a an application to start as soon as you turn on the machine. So by default, it's this the sample. Um, application that, that shows you stats about it. But um, 
they provide templates and, and samples on how to do Node.js development, C and C++, and C Sharp development from Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code. And you, instead of SSH, you, you can use PowerShell to execute PowerShell commands on the, on the, the device. Um, 2015, Visual Studio 2015 works great. Um, you can actually start doing universal apps, Windows universal apps, so you can draw um, GUIs. You, you mm-hmm. can have interfaces. And um, if it's hooked up to an HDTV, you can see the interfaces. They have an app in the Windows Store called IoT Remote, uh, Remote Desktop or Remote And please, Access. please, please, developers, put more apps in the Windows Store. Yeah, and I can it's, – it's essentially Remote Desktop for the IoT device. So I see its screen in a little window, and I can write code and push it right from Visual Studio. It will push the code to the IoT device and start running it, and I get feedback. Um, there's an extension for Visual Studio Code that will – you just set it up and it'll connect to it. You can push Node.js code. You can push C Sharp. It's a really nice development experience. It's not hopping through hoops like some of the Linux development might be for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much my presentation. Uh, like I said, lots of resources on devices, um, operating systems, um, some development. learning resources Um, I know you really want to talk about the business side I know one company that my cardinal has worked done work for for IOT and they did work on IOT hand sanitizers oh I like it right here's where it gets interesting I don't know why you need IOT for that but I like it because doctors are required to wash their hands or or use the the uh, hand sanitizers when they enter a patient's room and when they leave. Mm-hmm. So if you had a sensor that could tell how many times somebody came and left and you had a sensor that said how many times the device was activated. But what if somebody's visiting that person in the hospital and, I mean, they're just throwing the numbers off? Maybe, but uh, it, maybe if it's in a closed ward or an operating room or something right. where it shouldn't be. That makes sense. Um, you can generate those statistics and start seeing if you have a problem or not. That's really good. Any type of any type of situation where you think I could use more data, I would like better analytics. I think, think that's where IoT is going to be core. Think about what manufacturing processes. Oh, if yeah. you have a manufacturing line and um, you're trying to generate data on maybe failure rates or bad production or things failed testing, and you can start trying to use those little bits of data put them in a cloud, put them in a database somewhere where you're doing predictive analytics. Like I said, a lot of IoT is about feeding small bits of data from all around you where you don't need a full computer, but you just need, what's the temperature? Has someone come in? Have they used this thing? Are the lights on? Any of those, just like little bits of information that you wouldn't put a laptop there. Right. no type of computer, laptop. Right. Yeah. You really just want the sensor. That's yeah. all you care about. Well, I like that. I'm interested to hear what everyone listening thinks, what you're using IoT for, what you're using Raspberry Pi for. So let us know. Feedback at multinewmedia.com is the email address. And uh, check out the conversation at the bottom of the episode 53 page. Uh, we really, really want to know what's going on out there in the world. And um, maybe we can uh, get some folks who are doing some innovative things with IoT on the show sometime. 
Sounds good. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Let's go ahead and wrap this one up, and we're moving on to episode 54 next week. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.